Welcome to the Dunamis EQ podcast, where we talk to great leaders, people who lead with emotional intelligence. We hear their stories, we learn from their stories, and we grow from their stories. Hopefully this, this conversation will empower you in your journey with emotional intelligence. Today, I have the honor and the privilege of talking to Matt Davies. Um, he was introduced to me by Greg Freeman, one of my friends from university, and he runs, he runs his own leadership consultancy. So Matt, thank you so much. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure, our pleasure. Would you mind giving a bit of an introduction to yourself? Of course, I'd love to. So, um, Matt Davies, I'm 39 years old. I turned 40 in, in a month or so's time. I was just... Happy uh, birthday. We started about how I'd been away for the weekend with my boys and our 40th birthday celebrations, which is why I'm a little bit hoarse. But um, <laughs> based uh, just outside of Edinburgh, in a little village called Balerno. As, as you mentioned, I run my own company now, and I spent 15 years before that in financial services working for RBS, who by the time I left had, had changed their name to NatWest. But yeah, mm-hmm. I was in in there the last eight years were working as a basically an executive coach and leadership consultant within the bank and then okay. went to set up my own thing when I left there. That's amazing. So what was what was your journey to getting to NatWest? And you were there for quite a big chunk of time, right? You said about 15 yeah. years? Yeah, absolutely. So I graduated from the University of Glasgow in 2005, studied management and computing and HR was okay. I specialised in. And then I did a sabbatical year as an elected student officer. And then in 2006, I applied and was accepted to go to RBS as an HR graduate. And the HR wow. graduate scheme at the time was a three-year scheme, which is a okay. long time for a graduate scheme. And so I did that. And at the end of the three years, they had too many HR graduates because it was a three-year scheme. So they had three years worth of grads coming in. Mm. And um, they put half of us at risk. And to be honest, I would have put them at risk at that point. Um, because I just hadn't found my niche at all. Okay. I'd bounced around in different placements, as you do, and some of them had been really successful and some of them just hadn't hadn't really mm. flourished. And, and I'd gone from this point, I remember at my one of my last exams at university, at the University of Glasgow, there's this, um, the, the main building at the University of Glasgow is called the Gilbert Scott Building, and outside the front uh-huh. of it was beautiful flower beds. And I remember walking out there during the springtime at one of my last exams, and like, I, well, you know when you have an exam and you know you've absolutely smashed it, it's just yeah. like, get the right questions and it all falls into place. And I left the exam early and I was walking through there and I remember feeling like I had the world at my feet. You know, I felt like I could do anything. And in those three years through um, a variety of things, I just kind of felt like I'd been eroded, you know, and I'd sort of lost my mojo a little bit. I'd had some leaders that I just hadn't had great experiences with. I'd done some things which, you know, I look back and think, you know, if I had the chance, I would do differently myself. And, you know, you got to take ownership over these things. And it just kind of lost my, um, my groove a little bit. And so I was put at risk, and like I say, it was probably the right decision. But I didn't feel like I was ready to to leave. And so I, strangely enough, did a second graduate scheme, also at the bank, in retail leadership. And uh, went in to manage branches of the bank and and work as a deputy manager in bigger branches and in the regional office down in Bristol for six months. And Mm. uh, just loved it. Absolutely loved Mm. it. And so the leadership thing really started to take off for me then. That was 2009 to 2011. But at the same time, the challenge was it was very clear even then that we were starting to shut all the branches, you know, one after another because they just weren't being used. You know, everyone was mm. moving on to online and then mobile was starting to come in. And so it was evident that there wasn't really going to be a sustainable career of leadership within branches. So I took an office job um, for a couple of years after that in the, the, the regional office. And then they decided they were going to centralize all the regional offices. And so I got put at risk of redundancy again. Wow. 
And then, uh, the, at that point, I saw a job within the bank, which was a coaching role. And okay. by this point, I'd started coaching American football. So <clears throat> okay. you mentioned Greg that you know from university. I know him through American football and have done for mm. probably a decade or more now. And um, we, uh, so we kind of played against each other and things as, uh, back in the day. But I'd started coaching by the point of my career that I'm talking about now. Mm. And uh, so the opportunity to be a coach in a business sense, but also to yeah. apply some of the things that I'd learned in a, in a sporting sense, just was a, it felt like the perfect fit. So I applied for it was offered it and my career just took off after that and I've mm. never looked back you know I spent eight years in a couple of roles and um, mm. first day as a coach and then running a team of coaches in a different part of the bank wow. worked with some of these senior people all the way up to kind of CEO minus one um, mm. and just thoroughly enjoyed it like it was the best uh, those years were the best within the bank by a country mile mm. but then there was a restructure in the summer of 2021 which was not at all unusual with the organization you know big organizations as you well know they reshuffle mm. restructure and so me and my peers at that level got put at risk and there was another mm. job that we could apply for but at that point i felt like it was just the time ago you know i'd, yeah. I'd had 15 what well, i was a month short of 15 years the day i left no way 15 years the package was good for redundancy yeah. and i felt it was a chance to go and set up a business doing all the things i loved and none mm. of the things i didn't <laughs> none of the corporate stuff you don't like yeah, and listen, that I I look back really fondly on my years in the bank, even the yeah. early ones that were a little bit more tumultuous. But mm. um, I felt like it was time to go, time to go mm. away and do my own thing and spread mm. my wings. And I haven't looked back, so it's been great. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. Um, just to pick up on something you said a little bit earlier, what was it about leadership that really caught your attention? That you, you know, early on you said about the retail leadership. What was it in that time that really caught your attention that you were like, okay, this is cool. I want to explore this more. I think because I'd had some periods of my career before that where I had mm. worked for people who were able to get the best of me and work for people who weren't interested in getting the better for me. Like I knew mm. what the, the, the kind of the dark and the light looked like. And when I had the opportunity as a leader within a, a, a retail environment um, to do that for other people, it was just like a light bulb went off. You know, you have a chance to, to take something that's for some people, particularly in those times, there was quite a lot of young people working in the branches, you know, quite a lot of them were just living for the weekend, you know, they would mm. kind of come and make their money and then, you know, have their fun on the weekend. But when you, you kind of help them understand their capability, their potential, help them nurture that a little bit, help show, show that you gave it. That's a big part of it, leadership. Mm. I always say that with leaders. That's the first thing you have to do as leaders. You have to actually care enough about your people to mm. want to help them grow. And mm. by doing that, I got a real buzz, you know, and through coaching mm. American football at the time as well, I'd seen that too, that feeling of when you're working with somebody and they do something or they achieve something and, you know, it's their achievement, but you know your fingerprints on it a little bit. That's a yeah. really addictive feeling I find. And so I, I got that buzz and that was it. What do you think are the differences between leading in sports and leading in business? Um, I think... Well, there's probably different aspects of even leading the sports because, you know, if you were at a professional level, the people you're coaching are paid to be there. Mm. But I think at the level that I've always worked at, you know, they're they're choosing to be there. And, for, and a lot of the teams mm. that I've coached, people are paying money to be a part of the team to be coached by you versus them being paid to be there. So there are definitely differences. But I think in those environments, you know, you, you really have to hone your skills because you've got to create an environment that people want to be a part of because mm. they will they will kind of vote with their feet. 
You know, mm. people will put up with a lot of stuff at work, I find, but they won't tend to put up with that in their in their their spare time, you know. So I think there's definitely something about, you know, really sharpening your focus on um understanding the type of environment you're creating, the culture you're building, the behaviors that are accepted and tolerated and aren't. Uh, I think there's definitely there's 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 a, a real kind of focus on that. And I think in terms of the just the kind of nuts and bolts of good leadership, I think it's almost universal. You know, the stuff that I, that's one of the things I really enjoy about my job now is even when I was in the bank, <clears throat> I'd be working with leaders in technology or transformation or payments or innovation solutions, but they were all bankers, essentially, you know, they were all mm. doing things as part of the bank. But now I work with uh, head teachers, I work with people in the NHS, mm. I work with, um, you know, God, who else? technologists, I work with data specialists, I work with, you know, bankers as well in different areas, people in insurance, you know, a real variety of different professions. And the challenges that they bring to me that we talk about, we unpack in our coaching sessions are almost all the same. You know, there's really? a handful of things that come up. Yeah, okay. you're amazed. Teachers working, um, head teachers working with their staff and mm. somebody I'm dealing with working in um, you know, the technology department of a, of a big kind of international bank same leadership challenges you know they just come up mm. time and time again and so mm. i think if you can be a good leader and develop those core skills then it mm. can stand you in good stead wherever you go what would you say are some of those like repeated challenges that come up so uh managing up so there's, the, there's almost like the five mm. dimensions of leadership there's managing upwards is one that comes mm -hmm. up all the time you know how do i build my own profile, how do I make sure that people understand, you know, what my team are doing, that's, I just had a call immediately before this, and we're talking about that, people who, you know, they don't, they're not necessarily comfortable or confident singing the praises of their team and giving them yeah. that recognition, that type of thing, managing down, you know, difficult members of staff and difficult for different reasons, you know, some people that just lack motivation, some people perhaps who struggle with their capability, some people who, um, you know, might have uh, personal challenges that are impacting on work life, those types of things. And managing across, dealing with peers, you know, there's a, there's a big thing about, um, you know, leading without authority when you're in a situation yeah. where you have to, and that's that's a big thing actually in, in the sort of uh, life outside of work, you know, volunteer situations where you haven't got the mm. carrot stick that you have as someone's boss, just how to motivate them and how to lead them and get them moving in the right direction. Those types of things come up all the time, all the mm. time. That makes sense. One of the things that I was interested in about the sports side of things is that I think, especially when you're competing at quite a high level, I feel like to be good at a certain level, there has to be elements of ego, you know, and how do you, especially for American football, where like you have to go into it confident or else you're getting hurt, you know, so what did you, you said you had to sharpen your skills and hone your skills. What are some of the things that you had to sharpen and hone in terms of your leading like men with egos and, you know, what, what are some of the things that you had to, you had to grow in and change? Absolutely. And women with egos. I've done some work with women's American football teams okay. and they're different, you know, it's really interesting. I wrote a blog post about this just the other week. It's, um, okay. There's, a, there's something there about having that confidence, that ego to be able to put yourself out there, to know that, you know, in certain positions in in, a, in, in certain sports, American football mm. being one of them, a mistake that you make becomes very visible. You know, like mm. if I play an offensive line and my job is to protect the quarterback, if I miss a block and somebody, you know, mm. destroys our quarterback, then it's very visible and it's very clear it was my mistake, you know. So those things, you kind of have to have a confidence and a, you know, and a kind of swagger to go into the games to, mm. to kind of play against that. But I think one of the things that I found is that in sports, quite often what will happen is you'll have the best player on your team. Yeah. And they will have some fairly 
and this is not every one of them, but no, I've no, said no. a lot of times where the best player or so, you know, one of the best players in the team, it's got a pretty nasty attitude. You know, it's got a bad mm. attitude towards others. There's a, a kind of an arrogance. There's a, they treat people poorly. They speak down to people. They don't take coaching particularly well, but we say, well, he's just like that. He's, he's a stud. He's, yeah, that's what he does. Kind of manage it. And the reality is, is that if you let that happen, then mm. it doesn't take long before you start to see it elsewhere. And one of the phrases I use all the time when I'm speaking to coaches' conventions, for example, with the British American football, um, is if you accept it, expect it. If you accept mm. that kind of behaviour, expect mm. it from everyone. And that goes mm. all the way down to when I was managing branches. You know, If you turn up at 10 minutes late for the start of your shift and I do nothing about it, well, the guy who sits next to you will be 10 minutes late tomorrow. You know, and the girl across from me will be 10 minutes late the next day. And before you know it, you've just, you kind of, it's like walking past broken windows. I don't know if you yes. were familiar with that, that whole kind of era of, um, I think it was when Giuliani was the was the um, the mayor in, in New York. And, you know, he kind of basically was looking at crime from the point of view of, if you let the little things go, like broken windows and litter and graffiti, then the big things start to follow. And so you've really got to be all over those. And that's the approach I take is that you need to manage those small behaviors, early doors, stay on top of mm. them. You know, understand what's behind them, what's driving them, and let people know what will and won't be kind of tolerated in terms of behaviours. And I think that that sort of stuff makes a big difference. Mm. Definitely, definitely. And what are some of the differences um, you said about? Because I didn't realise you also um, coached women as well. Yeah. What are some of the differences you saw between coaching the women versus coaching the men, and how did you have to adjust for that? Yeah, uh, there's definitely um, one of the things I like about coaching women is they're as a as a broad group, they were like sponges. They were so yeah. keen to learn, so keen to soak it up and, and take on that knowledge and experience and go and apply it. And um, that wasn't always the case with with the men's teams that I've coached in the past. You know, that was a challenge that they had. And um, so that's definitely been a bit of a difference. I, th I reckon part of that's probably to do with how advanced the women's game is compared to the men's. You know, it's quite a lot of years behind because women's mm. American football in the UK is celebrating its 10th year this year, whereas... Really? Football's been around since 83, maybe 82 in the UK. Okay. It's been a long time. There's definitely a difference there where they're kind of playing to catch up, but the women's team in the UK is, you know, second best team in the world. It's, really? Yeah, remarkable. I didn't know we had a team in the UK, Absolutely. so I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to know. That's amazing. We lost in the finals of the World Championships to uh, the United States, unsurprisingly, last year. Yeah, of course. They just beat Sweden last weekend really comfortably and as part mm. of the kind of current run of European. So the women's game's really coming on in this country, but they're super keen to learn, they're eager, they're interested and stuff. Um the women's team have the there are different personality challenges. They are there are some elements of players can be more emotional at times and you have to really watch how you give them feedback. And one of the things that's really mm. important actually in business and in you know sport that, that a lot of coaches or leaders um, that a mistake they fall into is that they, they don't separate the act from the actor, you know, so they, they give mm. feedback, but the feedback instead of being about, this was the thing that you did, you and this did. had the impact mm. about you, like this is the type mm. of person you are, this is a mistake you've made and we have to recognise mm. that just because somebody does something, it doesn't mean that that's a, a reflection of them as a whole you know, there yeah. are, there's kind of more to it than that so I think that was something working with women I had to be really conscious of 
you know, making sure that they understood that the feedback I was giving them was was a reflection of what they'd done on a certain play or, you know, a catch that they'd, you know, they'd, they'd dropped the ball because their hands weren't in the right place and stuff. It's not a reflection of you as a human being. It's a reflection on you and your technique in that moment. So I think just being more careful with language around those types of things was important. Uh, and again, you know, that was also probably driven by the fact that a number of them were fairly new to the sport and so they were yeah. probably, you know, kind of more sensitive to that and they hadn't necessarily had a lot of coaching. Um, so some of those changes for sure in terms of the approach I took. But I think one of the really key things with anything, and this goes to coaching sport as much as it does leadership, is you have to create psychological safety within that yes. team, that business, in order that people are comfortable to give you feedback. Because mm. I'm going in coaching women for the first time. Now, I'm a guy who'd been around the sport a long time, had a lot of experience, you know, was reasonably well regarded as a coach, but I'd never coached women. And so if I mm. go in there and just take the broad brush approach that's worked for me previously and start painting with that, the danger is I'm not going to get the best out of these players. And that's really what I'm there to do, to create a great mm. environment, to get the best of the players. So creating an environment of psychological safety where they feel comfortable to give you feedback that says, look, that's... That didn't really land. <laughs> that doesn't work, yeah. You phrase that or whatever. And you know, that's that's really, really important to me. How did you how did you build that environment psychological safety? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. And that's one of the big challenges that I work with leaders on all the time. I think the first thing is you have to um you know, you have to let people know that you're open to feedback for a start. You know, so saying mm. it is a big thing, but it's you know, that's the that's the very first, that's the thin edge of the wedge, thin end of the wedge. So then it's about you know showing them, you know, say so actively reaching out to players and asking for feedback, you know, end of season surveys, getting people to do almost like a 360 feedback type thing, but in an informal way. You know, so yes. for example, I would say, look, um, everyone send my, you know, kind of you know, like Two, two stars and a wish, you know, two things they like and one thing they'd like changed about the way that they've been coached this weekend to somebody mm. and they would collate and gather that and give that back to me. And then you've got to do something with that feedback. Because mm. if I ask you for feedback and I don't do anything with it, that's worse than not asking at all. You know, it says not only do I not think there's anything I need to change, I also don't value your feedback enough to do anything mm. with it. So that's a really mm. important thing. I think watching how you kind of micromanage people, so how you manage your coaches, how you support them, letting them see that you are um, that you're there to develop too. And I think there's a, there's a definite place in this for for humility and for vulnerability. So if you make a mistake, rather than waiting for someone to point out to you and almost just hoping nobody knows, is to stand up and say, you know what? See the way I kind of ran that drill there. That's that's let's let's go back and do it again. You know, mm -hmm. and I do that as an executive coach. I'll ask a question. And I'll say, hold on a second. That's not the question I'm I'm looking to ask here. Let me just give me a second mm -hmm. to just reword it you know because i want mm. the best from those situations so rather than just like hoping to glide over the mistake and see if anyone notices you stop and you say you know here's here's kind of how we could do it differently or here's my recognition of my own flaws or or, or development mm. areas and another part of that as well is telling stories about things you've done wrong mm. you know like not glorifying mistakes but showing that mistakes are not fatal they're not final you know there's i've done things as a coach that i look back on and i think geez if i had my time again i would do that differently um, mm. But that's all part of growth and, and, mm. and reflection. Was there any feedback that you got that surprised you? And if so, like, would you mind sharing it and what you did about it? Um, yeah, of course. Coaching under 19s, feedback okay. about swearing too much. Swearing really? Sport, particularly a physical aggressive sport. Yeah. You know, my language uh, with, the, with the, the men's teams at times could be... Uh, a little Colourful. bit spicy, not as a <laughs> sometimes when you've got a point to make. Yeah, you know, there's some players who, um, 
who just kind of, uh, especially working with the younger age groups, just kind of found it a little bit uncomfortable. They obviously didn't come from environments where that was the norm. And I think with my friends, where I grew up, that's just how the language had always been. And so you mm. almost forget that. But but that's not an excuse. You know, that's not good enough. Mm. If that's something that they find challenging or uncomfortable, you have to find different ways to, um, different ways to. Um, to, to to express yourself. Another thing that was interesting from the same group was there were times when they felt we weren't pushing them hard enough as a coaching staff. Really? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's amazing. From especially from a young group, that's amazing. Now I'll tell you something. I I hear all the time about young people today and about you know their kind mm. of lack grit and toughness and the whole idea of everybody gets a badge and everyone gets everyone's mm. a winner and all this kind of stuff. See my experience of coaching under nineteens the American football over the last however many years, it's not my experience at all. Hmm. Toughness and the grit and the the the, um, the willingness to kind of, you know, push themselves is absolutely hmm. as good, if not in cases better than, you know, um, kind of my uh, peer group growing up, you know. So I think that's definitely a lot to be said for it. But I think it is. It's like sometimes the language you use or sometimes the, the way you approach them, um is is the thing that's that, that just needs to be refined and sharpened and it's probably a generational thing you know and that's yeah that's, that's great the chance to learn and grow is what we're here for because because that's what i was going to ask like do you think it just needs to be accessed in a different way because when i think back to how i was motivated as as an under 19 i don't think those things work in the same way for me as it does for the for the new generation just like it wouldn't have worked as well for the generation before for example absolutely and i think there's a, there's a huge thing in leadership about don't project you know just because and i sort of tell you a great example i saw this in businesses where there'd be a leader and they'd have a team of people they'd be like oh these guys motivations rock bottom i don't understand it you know they're all really well paid they've all just had big bonuses and i'm mm. like what you're doing is you're projecting the fact that you are motivated by paying bonuses onto mm. your team. It's like, well, mm. I'd be motivated by that, so why aren't they? And it's mm. recognizing the fact that different things motivate different people. And you have to be much more nuanced and much more bespoke with that approach. And the way you do that in business is the same way you do it in sports as you build relationships with your players. Mm. You know, I had some players that I coached, even on the same team, where there were people who's maybe had, had never been... Uh, kind of competitive sports people in, in other sports. You know, quite a lot of people in you'd, you'd expect in Britain, quite a lot of American football players have played rugby before. So they've been around coaching. They've been around being a part of a team. So culturally, they're kind of a bit closer to where where we would, we would kind of have been after a few years of playing the sport. But what would happen is you'd have some guys who had never been in that environment. And so, you know, their self-confidence, their capability was just a little bit lower. So in those mm. cases, you really dial up the praise and you really mm. kind of you find the key points of development for them, you know, and make sure that you're really building up their self-confidence and capability. And other players were like, coach, I know I'm great. You know, they're going to know things I need to get better. But don't yeah. give it straight. Don't worry about sugarcoating it. I know I'm great all this stuff. I need to, the, to the, the little nuances of footwork and hard work techniques and just be be mm. straight with me. And if you see it and it's slipping, then call me out for it, you know? Mm. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's just recognizing who those players are. And, and also the fact that people go through different um, phases. It's like people aren't, they're not set in that mode forever. You know, someone mm. who's, in work, for example, someone who's confident and they're capable, um, 
can find that actually, you know, they have a, they go through a crisis of confidence. You know, we've all heard of um, things like imposter syndrome. Some yeah. of those things can impact. Or a great example that I've seen happen lots of times is uh, women returners from maternity leave, you know, successful women. And then mm. they go away and they're out of the business for six, nine, 12 months, you know, mm. raising a child. And when they come back, it, they've kind of lost their mojo a little bit, you know. And so the way you manage them on return for maternity leave is different to how it was the last mm. week before they went off, you know. And I think, again, staying close to your people, having those conversations, you know, allowing them space to be open and vulnerable and, and knowing that that won't be held against them is how you really get the best out of them. I think that thing, you've mentioned mojo a couple of times, and I think almost like leadership in a lot of ways is managing of other people's mojo, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So, you know, helping people when they're low or helping people to see the right things when they're high. I think that thing about mojo is so key. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, that's, that's really where the, Probably almost like the second half of the of the, the kind of the emotional intelligence thing comes in. You know, with with emotional intelligence, I like to think of it as kind of stage one is knowing yourself, mm. uh, kind of having that self awareness, and then managing yourself. You know, mm. so like I know what my triggers are, and I know how to mm. just kind of be careful with those. Um, you know, these types of things, uh, and that's kind of the first half. And then the other half is being able to recognize, um, you know, the emotional states of others. And they do something with that, mm. you know, and that's mm. that's exactly it. Is where are they? You know, how are they feeling? Where's their confidence? Where's their where's their kind of vibe, their energy, and supporting people through that? And it's you know what? it's hard work. It's hard yeah. work, kind of thing. That's why people oftentimes they don't do it. They just go in. It's like oh, I'll just treat everybody the same, you know, mm. which is just a kind of lazy way of saying treat everybody poorly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Treat people the way that's another thing we would all kind of talk grown up is treat yes. people the way that you would like you to want to be treated. Yeah. I don't just treat them the way they would like to be treated. You know, you 100%. get a lot more out of what you do. Hundred percent. Um what are some of the things so you've kind of defined emotional intelligence in terms of understanding yourself, understanding others and adjusting appropriately. What are some of the ways that you found really effective in terms of growing in emotional intelligence? Great question. So the first thing, and I think this is something everyone should do, and it's really encouraged within coaching, so we as coaches mm. do it a lot, is developing a reflective practice. Mm. What I mean by that sounds really kind of yeah. flowery, right? But what <laughs> I mean, Exactly. What I mean by that is developing a process by which I reflect on my own performance. I reflect on the impact I'm having on people around about me. You know, all that type of stuff. So, you know, after coaching sessions, I'll sit and I will, um, you know, make some notes on, you know, kind of where I felt the individual was that day, questions that I felt had gone really well and had really opened the conversation up, other questions I'd like to take back and kind of, you know, if I could do it again, that type of thing, and really reflecting on my energy in the session, where was I focused, where did I feel my energy dip and all that type of stuff. But if you were in a business, if you were a leader, for example, and you're leading the team, it's just taking it time at the end of the week you know taking 20 minutes on a friday afternoon just to kind of you know make some notes about how's the week gone you know where have i spent my time in terms of on the job versus with my team you know mm. you know what am i what am i recognizing within the team what uh, where did i see myself have a positive impact where did i see myself have an impact where you know you can kind of like get that feeling like people are oh, 
don't know, didn't really like the way you did that. And just taking time to do that, that really helps sharpen your self-awareness. And as you do that over time, you can start to identify patterns. You know, where am I doing things consistently that are really having a great impact? Where am I doing things consistently that perhaps aren't? And, and that's just the, the kind of slow process of doing it. So I think developing a, a, a reflective practice is really good. And then from that, you can start to identify your triggers. You know, if I find myself getting agitated, what was it that agitated me? You know, if I find myself just in a really good kind of mindset, you know, and that's almost in that kind of flow state, you know, what was it that got me to that so that I can kind of find ways to replicate that? And equally, you know, the next stage of that is seeking feedback from others. And we spoke about it a little bit around sport and things but you know i've done this with loads of leaders in business one of the things that happens in business it's quite funny with with exec coaching is the idea should be that the business um the, the leader and the person who will be coached have a conversation and they identify a, the value of a coach and they bring the coach in and they do some like three-way contracting, you know, between the, the, the boss, the, the kind of person who's going to be coached and the coach and they understand, you know, these are the things that Matt needs to work on and we've spoken about and it'd be great if you guys could have that as a focus and what does Matt want and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you go away and you as the coach work one-to-one with the person. What happens quite a lot, if I'm totally honest, is someone's boss says, listen, Matt's a bit of a nightmare. Like he's got a really poor relationship with his peers and, you know, he's, he's seen as being a bit too sharp or rude or aggressive or he doesn't communicate effectively enough. Can you spend some time working with him? Okay. So I'll be working with the person and it's very obvious from a, from a early part of the conversation that the boss has never had this conversation with. Him. Really? So now I'm there. So it's like, do I be the bearer of bad news? Like, yeah. You can do that when you're outside the business. Say, oh, by the way, Tolu, uh, all your peers think that you communicate horrendously. And they're like, who said that? You know, and then it becomes that whole big thing. So what I have found works in those situations when it happens, and, and I generally will try and avoid those situations by saying, look, let's do some three-way contracting to make sure that hasn't happened. But in early stages of my career when I maybe wasn't as attuned to that and didn't necessarily kind of go down that road, what I would do is I'd say, right, what we'll do, Tolu, as a first thing when we start working together, Let's get some 360 feedback, okay? Mm. So what I want to do is let's identify five of your peers, five of your direct reports, you know, uh, your boss, three people at your boss's level, and then, you know, a handful of other people across the organization who you'd like some feedback on, you know, and we'll take that list and we'll go through it and and I'll challenge you. Like, don't just pick all the people that like you. You know, that's not going to benefit. You're not going to learn from that. Who are some people you've had some some friction with, some tension with Mm. that we can get some Mm. useful feedback from? And then you'll go out to them and you'll, you know, kind of solicit some feedback and say, look, I'm working with a coach. This is one of the things we're doing. Send your feedback to him. Okay, so they will send their feedback directly to me and I will anonymize it. I will take it and I will kind of you know, provide almost like a summary of these are the themes that emerge and these are some of the things that come up. And you and I will have a conversation about that and that will become the basis of some of the work we do in our coaching. And the great thing is you don't need an exec coach to do that. You can just get one of your peers at work, a friend at work to do that for you. You know, just say, look, totally send send feedback on you know on things i do that really enhance our relationship and things i do that really don't send that feedback to Tolu. he'll anonymize it and we'll have the conversation and i say i'd really appreciate your honesty because i'm here to grow i'm here to develop and that's all part of that psychological safety that you're trying to build as well and then i take that feedback from you and i kind of look at okay do i agree with that uh, you know and sometimes you'll say something right as the coach them and they know exactly who it refers to you know what i mean there's like certain yeah. situations like oh i bet that was dave you know yeah <laughs> 
if it was Dave, you know, what, what would make you say that? I said, well, because then they, you can see that they recognise that they did something. You know, they, they played some part. Then you can start to unpack all that and take it through. And I think developing that um, that reflective practice and then working on getting feedback is a really powerful way to start opening up and seeing where you're having a great impact and where you could be having a better impact. I think that that bit about feedback is so critical because one of the things that I was just thinking about as you were as you were talking was I'm trying to focus for example on being present in this moment right and so in that when I then go back to reflect on it how much of that do you think I can actually remember you know and really accurately recall and say okay because there are so many little interactions that are happening so that feedback thing for me is so important because my brain is limited in terms of can i really remember everything like some of the things that might have actually annoyed you i might not even have noticed yeah, you know so that absolutely. that's really critical i think to to have both sides and you know what's really funny one of the things i'll do at the end of a coaching session for example is uh, you know we've been working together for you know 45 50 55 minutes we're coming to the end of a session and i'll say what's been useful for you today in the session mm. right and you'll say oh you know when you ask that question and for me it might have been something that just almost like passed me by but for yeah. you it's a really powerful moment whereas i'm thinking what about this killer question i asked yeah, <laughs> yeah. i didn't even register with you it just kind of flew back. So that's why asking those questions and, and understanding what's having an impact is super super powerful but it's interesting one of the things you just said there about looking at ways to become more um present in the moment what, probably the most important leadership role I have is as a dad. You know, I have a seven-year-old mm. daughter, at Harper Alice Davies, the love of my life. Here she is, her little smiley wow. face. Wow, so cute! And she looks like uh, Merida from Brave. If anybody's ever seen that. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Old Scottish kid with her bone arm, <laughs> and um, and I, you know, sometimes will be with her, but not with her. Do you know what I mean? I'm kind of like my head's in work, and I'm thinking about something else and stuff. And I really focus on that. So when I talk about things like having a, a reflective practice. You know, I'm not just talking about a reflective practice in my work as a coach. I'm mm. talking about reflective practicing. Like, what what kind of dad do I want to be for Harper? What kind of impact do I want to have? You know, because ultimately, from my point of view, like the relationship she has with me will be the 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 yardstick for the relationship she has with men throughout her life. You know, wow. so I've got a big role to play there in getting that right. So me thinking about how I'm showing up in those situations, you know, how I'm supporting her, how I'm challenging her. You know, the things I let her away with versus the things I pull her up on as a dad, you know, all that stuff's really, really important. And I think um, developing that awareness and, and and thinking these things through and asking her for feedback. I had a conversation with her the other week and I said, you know, if there's things, because it's, it's, it's gold, honestly, some of the stuff that little people say is the best. And I was saying, you know, what are some things that I do that annoy you? You know, what are some things that I do? Because I want to be the best dad, you know, but I need to know what's mm. working, what's not. We have these conversations now. And some of the stuff she comes up with is just nonsense. It's great. It's like, <laughs> you know, because she's seven years old. And yeah. she says that one of the problems is when I'm doing, like, she's got her cuddly toys. When I'm doing, like, impressions of them all, they all have the same accent, apparently. And that's a problem for her. <laughs> I need to be more creative than that, you know? So it's like, it's, it's just a little thing. That's yeah. kind of example but like you know really kind of understanding and, 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 and thinking about like being i always talk to talk about acting with intent don't mm. just be on autopilot cruising through your life like you know how do you show up in situations what type of leader do you want to be mm. a question i ask leaders quite a lot when we're doing coaching is you know it's i call it the 10-year reunion question so imagine that you okay. are 10 years from today you are driving to a reunion with your current team mm. and your car breaks down on the way there and you can't make it what would your team say about you? 
Hmm. What would you like them to say about you? Hmm. They ask that question first of all. You know, how do you show up as a leader? How do you, um, you know, what, what impact do you have on these people? And then, of course, we can follow up with that kind of 360 type exercise and we can find out what are they actually If it matches, saying? yeah, does it actually match? The gap between what I would like and what I think. Yes. And there's yes. also the gap between what I think and what they think, you know, and that's mm. a really important one. So I think generating that type of awareness and thinking, and I do the same thing. I think, what type of dad do I want to be? Mm. Oh, mm. What type of husband do I want to be? Mm. I was speaking to a friend last night about a conversation I had with myself last year. I was doing some work over in New York with a recruitment firm, and I was over for a week, and I flew back on the Thursday evening. And on the flight home, I was kind of, I was in this kind of place of thinking about, like, my relationship with my wife. And Kath and I will have been married for 10 years this year, and we've been going out for nine and a half when we got married. So we've been together for nearly 20 years now. And I was thinking about, you know, how am I showing up as a husband? Like, what relationships do I want to have with my wife? And and, and, and am I being that? And I, uh, <clears throat> a phrase I use with our under-19s all the time when I coach them was, do your habits match your expectations? Mm. Love that. Right? Where are you trying to get to and how mm. are you behaving? Because mm. if your habits don't match your expectations, you've got two options. Mm. You change your habits or you change your expectations. Expectations. Right. So when I'm thinking about my relationship with my wife, I'm asking myself that question, you know. And listen, there are times when my habits don't match my expectations and mm. I have to, you know, kind of check myself and, and revisit it. And as a leader, you know, as a leader and as an American football coach, I've had some moments where I've looked back and I thought, man, you know, I'm so proud of the way I dealt with that situation. And I've had mm. some moments I've looked back and I thought, geez, could have better there, you know. Got to come mm. back stronger the next time. And when you're mm. a guy who runs a leadership consultancy, <laughs> you, know, you better practice what you preach. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it also reminds you that you know nobody's the finished article. We've all got to mm. be thinking about the staff and working on it, and mm. thinking about the impact we have on the people around about us. And I think if people did that more, you know, we'd mm. probably see a lot of change in the world just from that. You know. Agreed. One of the things I really loved about you asking your daughter for feedback is that it normalizes those conversations for her Absolutely. because i feel like sometimes people can see those in those engagements as conflict or this or that but actually it should just be a really normal part of life like with your friends with your wife with your husband whatever it is with your kids like how am i actually doing you know what can i actually do to be better to be different and yeah. i love that that normalizes it for her and Absolutely. that just becomes part of what she does. Like, that's amazing. And that's it. You know, like the, the, the best relationships are built on great communication, you know, like when people mm. are doing things that, like, I'll give you an example. As a way, when I was away with the boys this weekend, there was a few points through the weekend. And these are guys who, there's two of them that are there I've known since I was a toddler. I've known for mm. as long as you can know somebody. But there's a few bits over the weekend where things got a little bit tetchy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. People had a few drinks and there was like little mm. comments and it kind of gets a bit nippy. And I think that, you know, like we all have those things, even in our longest standing relationships, but normalizing the opportunity to talk stuff through and mm. uh, and kind of reflect on our own contribution to those things and you know that's that's what what helps us all get better so for harper i want her to grow up in an environment where the key relationships in her life are based on communication and openness and trust and and mm. understanding that if i give you feedback it's not because you know i don't like you it's quite the opposite mm. Mm. you know it's because i want us to have it i want us to be better together yeah that's another thing I do a lot of work with with organizations and leaders on is the idea of contracting and recontracting in relationships. So as a coach, say, for example, you and I were working together as a coach, I will typically have a chemistry meeting for a start just to get, is there a vibe here? You know, like, do we kind of gel? If you get that, brilliant. And then the first thing we'll do uh, is contracting. 
and we'll just spend some time talking about have you been coached before? How do you like to be coached? You know, thinking about like the support challenge matrix, which you know you might have seen before. It's like where do you sit on that? How how much support do you want versus how much challenge do you want? You know, and like like that conversation I was having about players earlier on. Some of them want to really be pushed, other them kind of want a hand around the shoulder. Um, you know, just lots of little aspects of it like that. How often will we meet? That type of thing. How long will the sessions be? And you know, you can. The great thing is, you contract and then you consistently recontract through the relationship, and you look to mm-hmm. review these bits and pieces. Um, and I think that a lot of people in businesses, I say to do that with stakeholders. Oh, what's nightmare stakeholder? This guy, in, guy in market, and he's a pain in the arse and stuff. And I was like, okay. Why don't you do some contracting with them? Oh, well, we've worked together for years. It would be weird. And I was like, well, would it be more weird to do that or to continue the way you are? You know, mm. what you mm. do is you sit and say, Tom, listen, we worked together for ages, but I'm conscious we've never really sat down and spent some time reflecting on the service that I'm providing to you and the service you're providing mm. to me to make sure it's as good as it can be. You know, because I'm committed to doing everything I can to make it great. You can ask really simple questions, you know, like, what do I do? Like, say, for example, it's my department serves you in some ways. Like, what do we do as a team? that uh, really helps mm. what do we do as a team that really doesn't help mm. what do we not do as a team that really could help mm. and how do we do it you know the style the approach the behaviors mm. and stuff. you know it's almost like a stop start continue kind of thing and just by doing that just by asking your opinion i've just shown i give you know i've mm. shown i care enough mm. for us to, to kind of actually build a relationship upon and those are simple things but they make such a big difference mm. you know I, I really like that. Like, what's helpful? What's not so helpful? What could be helpful? Yeah. Um, and I think you're right. Like, even just thinking about doing that with some of the people that the other teams that I work with, I'm like, wouldn't that be super awkward? But actually, no. Like, it's a really good open conversation to be able to have. It's all about how you position it. Mm. You know, if I position it to say, look, our relationships are shambles right now. I'm mm. not happy mm. about it. And I want to spend some time doing some feedback. Mm. Right. And no then thanks. we have the conversation, <laughs> not going to go well. No one's queuing yeah. up for that meeting, right? But if I say, look, you know, I've been reflecting on a relationship and there's been a few times recently where I feel like, like we're just not getting the best of each other. And I, I want to mm. make a real difference. Like I want to get up in the morning, come to work and make a difference. And that's a phrase I use with leaders all the time. I say, don't forget, right? Despite what you might think with some of the people that you deal with, people don't say, I can't wait to get up in the morning and mm. go to the office and be shit at my job. You know, that's mm. not how mm. people are wired. You know, they want to make a difference. So I say, you know, what I really want to do is for us to have a relationship that really brings the best for both of us. So mm. how about we spend half an hour and then just kind of chat through and I'd love some feedback from you. You know, you sell it in a way that's kind of much more focused on a positive view of the future, like we can have the best working relationship in this organization mm. rather than a negative view of the past, like, oh, things are a shame. Oh, I love that. I love that. A positive view of the future rather than a negative view of the past. That is, yeah, that's gold. That's so. gold. Wow. Wow. Something I wanted to ask you is, you know, you mentioned about you can either adjust your habits or your expectations. Yeah. Do you feel like you spend more time adjusting your habits or your expectations? Uh, good question. I think probably now at this stage of my life, it's probably my habits. Okay. So I kind of set my expectations by now. And okay. listen, sometimes I have to look back and kind of push up my expectations. I feel like sometimes, okay. and sometimes listen to their day that was talking about this. But I feel like sometimes as you go through your life, your expectations just kind of creep down. 
It's oh. like, well, this is this is what it's going to be like. You know, this will be life will be fine and stuff. And I always want to yeah. kind of remind myself that you know you're building this life for yourself. Mm. Also, you, it's 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 within your gift to make it 100%. great. Just kind of creeping those up a little bit and reminding yourself actually. And back to that point I made right at the start when I was thinking about um, when I left university and I felt like I had the world at my feet. I felt like I could do anything, you know. And mm. then over time, that sort of got eroded. It just reminded myself, you know, you can still have that mm. feeling. That feeling's still out there for everybody. We've mm. all got to think about. Let's just push those expectations up, and that drives the it, it kind of drives the engine to get those habits moving, to get us doing things differently. You know, right? Mm. Other than just saying, "Well, just you know, I guess that's how it'll be. It's fine." And then mm. you just kind of drift along forever, and you know, you feel like you've wasted a year, or you know, a decade, or you know, your youth. It's amazing how quickly. Especially since I became a dad, like, mm. since I became a dad, it feels like everything's in like goes about hundred mile an hour. You know, the years just seem to fly past, mm. and so I'm conscious of not wasting them. You know, agreed. And and I don't know if it's maybe like a sports thing, but I've always just had this thing of like you always have to get that little bit better. You know, like that's why you practice, you get a little bit better. So I think it was quite surprising for me that actually a lot of people's expectations go down and down and down because I guess from sports i expect more and more and more of myself in yeah. terms of i'm going to practice i'm going to get better as time goes i get better and i get better and i get better so i think that's that's so interesting and that's also part of why i have the podcast is because the experience that i've had i've been very fortunate to be in really good organizations play for really great sport teams where i've had leaders and coaches who have demanded the best of me you know yeah. like that's that's what i've grown up with for pretty much my whole life but other people don't necessarily have that you know and that's why we that's why we do this and the question for the people that are listening to this who are leaders is mm. to ask how can you be that person for someone else mm. like how can you be that person that sees something in someone that they don't even see themselves and helps mm. them realize it because mm. there are very few things on this earth that are more satisfying or more empowering than doing that mm. you know like okay. i i worked with um where where the, team, the 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 club team that I coached for years um, were based just outside Glasgow in a town called East Kilbride, and East Kilbride has the, the kids who came into our under nineteens, under sixteens programs um, have a real mix of backgrounds. You got some from great affluent, you know, two parent families, and you know, wealthy and really well supported. But you had a lot of kids from really tough areas. You know, there's a number of what they call areas of multiple deprivation that are part of our kind of catchment area. You know, what does that mean? Sorry. Multiple deprivation. deprivation is basically uh, kind of underprivileged people, you know, people who, you know, there may be um, low income families, single parent families, you know, problems with addiction, you know, lots of different challenges mm. to face in these areas. And we get a lot of those kids coming to us. And um, there were people, there were people I coached a long time who didn't have any positive male role models in their life at all. You know, they would live at home with their mom and mm. They didn't have a relationship with school. Like they'd never been academically successful, so they'd kind of checked out of that, you know. And so these people, you know, you have the opportunity to have a huge impact on their lives just by showing them, like, high, highlighting and, and cheerleading for them the things that they do well and just helping them realize there's more to, 
you know, like there's more to life than what you've had so far, you know, and if you push yourself and if you commit to things, it's amazing what you can achieve. And seeing some of these young people go on to, you know, to to, to, to develop their kind of capability in a sport and then they really fall in, in love with it and they start lifting in the gym and then they really, like, they get into that. They think, oh, I'm going to, like, they'll go and become a personal trainer or they'll get some qualifications in, you know, those aspects of things that they really love. And then they start to change their lives through just little tiny things that, that happen. It's amazing how those little kind of, those, those sliding door moments happen and you have the opportunity as a, as a, as a leader, as a coach, as a boss, as a parent to be the person that is the, the catalyst for those. And it's, mm. yeah, it's a, it's a really powerful thing. So just as we, as we wrap up, you mentioned about people asking themselves the question about, you know, what can I do to be that person for someone else? Yeah. What are two or three things that you think people could take away and do that could help them to become that person for someone else? Absolutely. So I think firstly, um, in the various strands of your life, in the pillars of your life, you know, as a, as a partner, as a parent, as a, as a child, you know, as a child mm. of your own parents, like mm. spend some time reflecting on how do you want to show up? You know, like it's the question that you'll have heard asked before. Imagine, you know, you, you're, a, you're a guest at your own funeral. Mm. Like, what does that eulogy sound like? Mm. What do you, well, you know, what did your parents say about you? What do your kids say about you? What did your peers say about you? Think about how you want to show up because that becomes the start of it. And then that gives you an opportunity to, to build the habits that meet that expectation. The mm. next thing is that reflective practice and thinking about, you know, taking time periodically to make sure, mm. am I on that track anymore? Am I, have I kind mm. of drifted off? Have I let some other things um, creep in that maybe, you know, like I'm starting to chase the money a little too much, you know, mm. and, I'm regretting and I'm like, you know, not spending as much time with my family or, you know, on my hobbies or my interests. And listen, sometimes in your life, that's the appropriate thing to do. But again, it's about being intentional. If I'm spending time working long, late hours, it's because mm. I've chosen to do so because I know it's maybe for the short term and there's a big payoff at the end for the family or something, rather than I'm just getting sucked down that hole of you know, chasing money and materialism or whatever it might be. You know, Again, mm. be intentional about those things. That self-awareness is thing. And seek feedback is the other one. Without a doubt, mm. you know, get feedback from people around about you and create that culture, like you said, where feedback is normalized, mm. where people you know, will, will, will actively say, actually, you know what? kind of a bit out of line there one of the things i always said to our players um in those younger age groups was if you have friends around about you who um who tolerate you know you spending your time doing things that are detrimental to your future they're not your friends mm. you know because people who aren't holding you accountable and helping you become the type of person that you say you want to become they're not your mm. friends you know, and especially with young people in that 16 to 19 age group where there's a lot of temptation starting to creep in, you know, to be to be doing some things that will um, that will perhaps take you off the path that you'd sort of set out for yourself. Um, or in some cases, take you off before you even had a chance to think what that path is. You know, it's, it's, it's having people around about you that hold you accountable is really important. So be that person for others and find people to be that person for you. I think if younger people could know what it is like like you said who, who what do you want people to say about you who do you want to be then actually it's easier for them to identify if the friends that they have are helping or harming that absolutely you know? i think if jim Rohn said you become the average of the five people you spend five people with. that's right that's who right five people what's that average looking like mm. Mm. and is and it also, going towards or away from where you want to absolutely and the question is if you're somebody's fifth person are you lifting them up or are you pulling them down, you know? 
it's it's a lot to really reflect on and and think about um thank you so so much for your time this has been a really great conversation i've really appreciated the nuggets that, that you've been giving so thank you so much for your time really appreciate having you on uh, thank you for having me on and i appreciate what you did my pleasure and we will catch you all thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode bye